Grizzle Pod episode five. Here we are. Got Scott Willis. Here I am, Tom. We're back. We're back at it. Episode six. What's going on? Uh, Episode five. We got a rundown today. Scott, hit him. All right. I'm gonna. We're talking about a lot of stuff, guys. Here it goes. Number one, we're doing a little bit of a market recap. So interest rates have been keeping the market on edge. We're gonna talk about that. Next, our uh, strategist, superstar strategist Chris Wood was talking inflation and commodities this week. So we're gonna dig into that a bit more. And we also have a a retail speculative bubble still going strong. There's two indicators we look at. It's penny stocks and call option volume. So we're gonna explain more about that. Next, uh, Kathy Wood over at ARC is raising the target price on Tesla to 3000 from 1500. So big move there. And then we we need to talk a little bit about these electric vehicle SPACs. There's a bit of a bubble going on, EV SPACs, hydrogen. Uh, you got to be aware of what they're telling the market versus what they may end up doing. And lastly, we got the Danimer freight train. It's still running. Maybe the grizzle effect, who knows? But uh, we got we to end it off with Danimer. So that's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A- action-packed pod today. Let us do it. So, Scott, let's kick it off. What do we got? All right, let's, why don't we do oh, a little one. market recap? So... The tail of the tape the last five days was markets started off in a positive mood on Monday. Tuesday, there was follow through, but you got to watch interest rates. Interest rates were down Monday, Tuesday. They started going up. They ended at a week high. Once they started rising, the market said, "Uh -uh, I don't like that. And so basically everything was selling off. The S&P was down a a little less than a percent. And then the NASDAQ outperformed the S&P. It was down half a percent. And then if you look at like emerging markets, they did even better. Um, they were actually up just a tad. But we we ended the week uh, down in the U.S. overall. Yeah, and that was a violent dra- downdraft for sure. Yeah, it was strong first right? few days and then violent. Give it all up. Yeah, pretty t- pretty tough stuff. That's, that is for sure. Uh, if you're a tech investor, tough little spot, man. Yeah, tech isn't working so well. I mean, if you guys know us, I follow software companies pretty closely, and so I own some of them. And they're just, they haven't been doing well. Ever since interest rates kind of went above uh, 1% or so, it's really taken a bite out of those valuations. I think it's one of those things, it, when interest rates are almost at zero, the the multiples on, uh, the multiple of sales that investors are willing to pay on these companies went from like 10 to 40 to 60. Because it's it, like, when money's that cheap, yeah. Why why can't it go to 100? But now once money's becoming more expensive, interest rates are going up, the more expensive your multiple, the worse your stock is doing because that 40 times, 60 times is now falling to 20 or 15. So you just have yeah. to put in perspective. All these yeah. software stocks used to be 10 times sales or less a year ago. Now some of them are 20, 30, 50, 70. So uh, it's yeah. hard to keep that up. And I think you got a good good data point you'll talk about later on 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 Tesla itself. But Tesla, you know, it's a great point here. But the main point is is that for those, a lot of these stocks are conceptual stocks, Scott. Realistically speaking, yeah. you know, you know, they they don't have sales in the net, in that this year, next year, probably not for the next four years. So what what ends up happening is you know as as interest rates rise, you get this effect, as you've just said, Scott. Where in a lot of ways you can't even computationally do it right because you're like. Do I take do I take this down from you know 100 time sales in 2026 to 50? I don't know, but all that I know is directionally I'm not feeling so hot, and that's you know so the way it kind of works is you can be much more mathematical about stocks that actually have sales and earnings, you know the the apples of the world, right? But 
when it comes to very speculative uh, companies, it's very tricky. It, it it really is rocket up, elevator down. It, it you know it, it it's 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 a very unscientific thing, but it, it um you know which which has been always our view, right? Everyone's like, oh, valuation out the window, yada yada. Grizzle has had a stated view that we are fundamentally focused, valuationally focused, and you can find great growth stocks that trade on reasonable valuations. That yeah. is always available. It's not either or. It's not like if you want to own growth, you have to throw valuation out the window. We, we found some. Uh, Danner is one of those where uh, you just have to look a few years down the road and it looks downright cheap. But again, the multiple game is just a tough game to play because it's all the psychology of investors. That's what the multiple determines. So the multiple is not based on, uh, I mean, it should it should be kind of based on the quality of the company, but that really goes into the psychology of the markets. Because if people wake up and say, this is a great company, well, I'm going to pay a greater multiple. But saying that something's worth 10 versus 40, yeah. it's hard to justify anywhere in between. So very quickly can switch from 10 to 40, then write mm -hmm. 40 back to 10. So we're seeing yeah. some of that going on right now. And it really takes a big bite out of stocks because the stock price is very sensitive to the multiple. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we stated it on the last pod. We think this is a really sweet spot for the Grizzle. The Grizzle school of uh, multi-baggers, uh, the way to, way to look at it. And we think, listen, literally, you have something tangible, something real. Uh, growth is always going to be a premium, Scott. This is a market that will value, continue to value growth, whether interest rates rise, whether they fall, et cetera. So you have to be a growth investor. There's no, there's no second points about that. Don't be like, you know, chasing cigarette butts old old economy stuff like the head fake here is that you know people are going into these old economy stocks at you know talking amc or whatever i, mean, I know you had some thoughts on that scott but I, you know the, but the whole point is there's a lot of old economy things that people maybe are getting lulled into buying which we think is uh not a do not do not fall for that head fake because in that really you look you'll look a couple of years out the value guys are all like you know oh thank thankfully you know we're i'm back i'm back you're not back. You never were there. Go yeah. back. <laughs> Tom, I think there's a change in psychology among management teams that may be also messing up this view that like you buy dividend stocks and they're high quality and they're going to increase your returns. Look at Amazon. They, I bet he could generate a lot of free cash flow if he wanted to and pay dividends, but that's not his mindset. He doesn't want to do that for a number of reasons. It's more complicated. Yeah, yeah. So he is reinvesting at almost every cent back into growth. So this is like one of the best companies where... 30 yeah. years ago, if it was like a GE, they'd be paying you dividends and free cash flow. But he thinks differently now. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to reinvest in the business. So it's Scott, the you, same thing. You you sent me a fantastic clip um, about, uh, who is it? Uh, at um, uh, What's his name? He was talking about, uh, he was comparing Google versus Amazon and how oh, Google was Peter just Peter Thiel or Thiel. Yeah, Peter Thiel. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to just recap that? Because that was a fantastic little statement here and this was back in 2013 it was yeah it was a long time ago peter yeah, so thiel was on stage with um eric what's his last name at google schmidt, one of the, schmidt. eric schmidt one of the founders of google and he was giving him a hard time because he was saying you have more cash than almost anyone so that just shows that you can't find ways to reinvest you can't find new business opportunities you're just milking whatever you have now and yeah. you're sitting on all this cash versus amazon he's been able to find reinvestment opportunities but all I'm really getting at is finding the best companies to invest in. Now you really have to go for growth because yeah. they're 
they look like growth companies, but they may be really the same as your GEs from the old days. It's just you can't judge it by I have all these dividend streams, free cash flow is great because they're just choosing how to use their money in a different way. Yeah, and and you know I would I would argue this is uh, you really hit a good point here, right? I would argue in a world where technology is moving so quickly and you know things are rapid, like it, you cannot afford to just sit and stand still. Which is you, which dividends make sense when in a world that doesn't have that. You know what's that effect? You know the the computational where things double every n number of years, oh. right? You Moore's law, Moore's law, mm, right? Moore's law, yeah. yeah Right, and so right, we are in a, in the era of technology, and the problem is the steady eddy dividend stocks. Uh, what they end up just becoming is deer in in technological headlights over and over again, roadkill. Yeah, the market's changed. You can't just sit there and pay out free yeah. cash flow because if you just sit there and don't compete with how people are changing the market, that free cash flow goes away, and then you have to cut the dividend anyway. So yeah, it's very yeah, it's it, tough. You got to be on your toes in this market. It's last last twenty years. It's been like that. You you need a highly innovative uh, research team to be highlighting ideas and a lot of uh, R and D, a lot of R and D spend. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's great. It's good, good little wrap there. Uh, what's next, guys? So we we, we got to talk about uh, Chris Wood, our strategist. He put out a good piece last week. He's been on our the inflation train hard. Strategist, the number one strategist, number one in, in the world. We're, we're not exaggerating here. No, and listen, guys, if you, so if you, thank, thanks for listening to the pod. Thanks for the support. We keep growing by bounds every week. I, you know, we should have done this a lot sooner. But one thing everyone's got to know, Grizzle started with myself, Scott, Chris Wood, and, and James Alfreds. And everything that permeates around Grizzle is these things together. And uh, all the dynamic visuals that we're seeing, the Grizzle, the classic Grizzle feel look, the the theses that are succinct is James dropping the best visuals that you can imagine. James and makes your eyes happy every single day. Boom. And then the research is on point. That's Scotty. And then you've got a macro guy in Chris Wood. Unbelievable. Anyone who has ever been reading Grizzle since day one is just so like, guys, thank you for putting Chris Wood on our radar because he's only been available to institutional investors prior to that. Scott, he would come to Toronto and it, literally, unless you were a massive pension fund, he may see you through the day. But he respected there was one lunch that everyone would come to. That was it. That was the one, you know, and it was like a superstar lunch, right? And but, anyways, we're 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 thrilled. He became a partner at Grizzle, and he puts out a weekly, religiously. It this is institutional quality work that Chris is doing for Grizzle. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah. So what I recommend is you should definitely check it out every week. Some of it is highbrow, where it might use terms you're not familiar with. But that's why Grizzle is here. If you read it and you don't understand certain things, we recap it during the week live. Yep. You can ask questions about it live. We'll talk about it. So we'll break it down and really help you understand every little nugget of wisdom that Chris is dropping because they're consistent every week. He's really helping. We we huddle every week with Chris, and that's how we're able to, so far, pretty successfully navigate through the market up and ups and downs target exciting growth sectors yep. other ones that may look exciting on the surface but have more risks that whole thing so it all starts with chris yeah and so this week's piece was great and he was talking about what is on topical on everyone's mind inflation and commodities scott what's what's his take there so the commodities take was just you know commodities are a great inflation hedge so there's something you want to buy anyway now as inflation is going up if we do get a scare around inflation running hot but there's other 
uh, bullish catalyst going on at commodities like supply. There's just a supply shortage in certain commodities, especially copper, uh, not so much oil, but a lot of other things too. So that's like a double whammy because these things go up with inflation, but you have great supply demand dynamics where electric vehicles use a lot of copper, like, you know, simple things like that. So he's just saying, he, he kind of laid out that energy demand really didn't fall out off through the pandemic. It did when everyone was locked down in March, it's already back to pre-pandemic levels. So we can't wean ourselves off energy. We still need commodities. So if inflation is a problem, you buy commodities, plus commodities just look strong on their own anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good good recap. And I think on Monday, we are going to talk about copper. We're going to do a, a copper. Yeah, we'll do a bigger copper piece in our, in our live Fat. show special episode yeah. um so, yeah, that, that uh, so the, the other the other piece was inflation related he was just saying in his career he's made a great career out of calling rising inflation saying eh, it's not a big deal it's going to turn around and it's and he's been right but he says in this this time if it if we ever do see inflation start to run hot get closer to hyperinflation this is the time everything's set up where it's the most likely in his career that he's seen and so wow. he's just saying we need governments to address it, meaning they have to raise interest rates to fight inflation. If they do not, there's a better chance inflation hits at just a higher level structurally, meaning it doesn't go down. It's just higher for longer. And and in that scenario, if inflation is higher for longer, the classic, I wish we had the picture here, is the Zimbabwe. Um, it wreaks dollar. havoc on every part of your life. So <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. what's, the current, what's the name of the Zimbabwe thing? When, when you're printing $1 million on a note, it doesn't even need a name. <laughs> you're like it's, running it's out of paper. Zimbabwe paper. Yeah, it, Zimbabwe had hyperinflation. This was not that long ago. I remember I was following it because there was some good coverage on some funny sites. People were wheelbarrowing around the money, using it as firewood. <laughs> That's not good. When you're burning the money for warmth, you're yeah, you're in yeah. trouble here. You know, and and you know what, everyone is. Uh, if you're a Bitcoiner, um, welcome to the pot. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, what, if 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 you are a Bitcoiner, it, it's uh, you know this is what you intently focus on, and and uh, you know, totally fair because this is a this is a potential you know outcome year. But the part that we we would say is. Um, Obviously, we could all own 100% gold, silver, Bitcoin, but I think uh, I think I've said on previous pods, there are still great opportunities to invest in real businesses that provide you an inflation hedge as well, Scott. Like classically, if inflation is running hot, equities have been a great place to be. Yeah, and it, it, equities do work at inflation, and also Bitcoin and gold only work up to a point. If you do get hyperinflation and a government raises rates really high to fight it. That's kind of the end for gold working. We, we saw that in the 70s. So gold works as the inflation hedge, but then once the cost of money gets too high, it kind of stamps tamps down on, on that increase in gold. Right, and and then those assets will go dead, uh, but the economy will st still keep humming a lot. Yeah. You know, you'll, yeah. you'll go through a purge. Well, you know, the future chapters in this. Wild yeah, there's a, this book is right just, now. we're on chapter one of the inflation oh. book, so. Oh, man. You'll, you'll be tired of it by the time we're done, but uh, it's it's yeah. going to affect every part of our lives, so we got to watch it. But right now, it's party time, and retail investors specifically, oh, speculative man. retail investors. This is Mardi Gras every day for the retail investor. Oh man, we got a couple of great sites. So Charles, Scott, what are what are the what are the two key indicators here? I think you first you got to look at volume of small cap stocks because that's what you would call yeah. speculative stocks. They don't always have the greatest fundamentals. Uh, there may be some of them are pump and dumps. That's like the well, place that the pump and dump guys well, love to play. 
Uh, you know, I'll correct you there, Scott. Small cap is actually a real, real space. These are penny stocks that do not even trade on an exchange. That's OTC. right. Yeah, I didn't mean okay, pennies. I, I didn't mean small cap. <laughs> yeah, Those are large let's... cap compared to penny stocks. All, all you small cap investors, don't. You, yeah. You don't have to get. Not... You don't have to go crazy yet. <laughs> no, these are micro cap uh, pump and dumps. They have no liquidity. These are trading on what they call the pink sheets. What's the word? What, what is a pink sheet, Scott? Didn't that come from when you first had to look up those, if you were doing some research before they had all the, the computers and everything, there was a publication that went out that was printed on pink paper and you could look up those names. different details. I, I didn't even know the history of that. That's why we have the professor, Scott Willis in the house. There we go. I don't know where I got that factoid oh, from, but yeah. So it used to be, you, you'd open it up and you'd look at your, and they'd have the yesterday's quote, or maybe they had a little blurb on the company or something. It was called the pink sheets. All that stuff, it's old school, but uh, nowadays you can just look it up on uh, on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, so we, we we have some good indicators here. The pink sheets volume, the amount of shares being traded by retail. Let's look at it. It's at all-time highs by a lot. And it's really picked up in 2021. It went to like a whole new level. So for anyone who is can't see the chart we're looking at, in 2019, it was running at about... 200 uh, billion shares, I guess that would be. Now it's up to above 1.5 trillion. So just a massive increase in trading. And this is being driven by retail because institutional big banks, they yeah. generally aren't really playing in this space. So, so it's fair to say what we're seeing here is a tenfold increase in very, very, what we'd call super speculative Speculative, I never even feel like trashing the word speculative, Scott. This is actually like, this is an indicator of fraud. Yeah, Most of these true. companies are, are very yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pink sheet stocks that just aren't even real companies. They just, uh, there may be someone who notices one and they start tweeting about it and they buy it ahead of time. And then yeah. because it is no volume, small changes in volume can push prices around. So you could even, I mean, you could do this, you'd go to jail but you, you have your Twitter account, you tweet about a name, you bought it beforehand. Well, then zero people were buying it. Now a few hundred do. The stock doubles. You sell out ahead of them. Uh, that's kind of what's going on. So you got to be very careful on the pictures. Well, guys, last week we were talking about Furus, and it was just in time the SEC went to slap down one of these guys in one of these specific scenarios, Scott, actually. So you, you know what it was, uh, so it was highlighted, I'm forgetting, it was, but it was a Twitter handle, Scott, it was a Twitter pump and dump. Guys, we warned you about this shit, uh, and lo and behold, the SEC came down on one guy. So what he was doing, it was like some sort of like half penny, Scott, like ridiculous, obviously. Yeah, it was, it was the smallest of the small. Smallest of the small, he's, I don't even remember the story, but it's always the classic, there's something big brewing, blah, 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 volume gets in, he like dumps it. Um, anyways, long story short, Scott, he was using a shell, uh, basically dormant uh, OTC to do this, Scott. And what ended up happening is the CEO of that dormant company said, what the hell? Because there were fake press releases from this dormant company. And then the real CEO is like, wait a minute. And he tapped the SEC to shut this thing down. Really? Okay. So that's was, how they a, found it. It was a fascinating story of bullshitters on Twitter. And listen, again, we cannot emphasize enough. The first tell of who, if someone's real or not, is why aren't you telling people your real name? Like if, if you're out there giving calls, like I get people want privacy, et cetera, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the people 
um, who are actively wanting to be gurus or whatever, what, you know, whatever. And this is just all like, I'm going to throw out a ticker, looking nice, looking good. Like that sort of stuff without a real name, without, you know, you can't figure out who they are. You know, it's if it sniffs like a, a fake fake business, it likely is. Yeah, it's, nobody's you know, doing like, Dan or uh, conviction calls. I'll tell you that. No, they, no, it, no, it's hard. It's hard to do uh, deep research on things, so you're not going to see many of those. It's easy to throw a ticker. Hey, I saw I saw three letters. You want to check it out? Throw a ticker and a gift, Scott. Then yeah. you double moon, yeah. moon double. The best part about that guy who went to jail, though, I don't know if you saw this. He logged into his brokerage account on the day the SEC froze his assets, and he was like. All right, guys, I'm done trading today. This my broker's terrible. He fr it froze again, <laughs> and then an hour later, someone's knocking on his door, and, and away uh, we go. Well, you know what? It all kind of adds up, right? And then all those guys, uh, all those guys, a lot of those guys went private. They didn't want anyone on their Discord, uh, specifically Scott, because word spreads right between all these bullshitters, right? They're all like one big pump and dump room, boiler room, whatever you want to call it you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street type. You know what it is? It's a dark room, and you turn on the light, all the cockroaches scatter, you know? <laughs> That's basically what it is. So they heard one went down, one got, you know, the lights are coming on, and they're all scattering. Yeah, so, you know, who knows? We'll see more of it, but the but the reality is uh, all of what we're seeing right now, uh, there's so much make-believe out there. Um, if it feels, looks too good to be true, it likely is. And uh, the right way to do, if you're going to look at stocks, whatever, uh, you would want to look at research that looks and feels like grizzles or, you know, the bottom line is due diligence takes work, as Scott said, right? You have to, you, and, and what we're saying is, listen, this is our view, but we're giving you enough information here that you can figure out what, what you want to change, right? Yeah. We yeah. don't know. Do this you like this point. company too? Because you have enough information that you can make an informed decision. That's the point. You don't, it's not you're agreeing with us. It's yeah. you can decide whether... Oh, this information does agree with what they said, or I think I think they're way off. That's right, and we uh, you know, and we're gonna do an update to the tool, but we we had a phenomenal, we still do uh, for a couple stocks. So Beyond Meat is one of them, where we had a tool where we give you the power uh, specifically to play with the uh, play with the uh, play with our assumptions. Just say, okay, yeah. you know, I believe your your discount rates are wrong. You know what we call our IRR bands. But I believe growth will like you know I believe our growth will look like this target etc. We give you the power to do that. So that and, and we're going to have that eventually where you can type in all sorts of tickers, you know, hundreds, thousands of tickers, and kind of do yep. that same thing. Uh, it just takes some time. You you want to get that right because it it it's not just a ticker and publicly available information. There is some thought going into this about some of the guardrails, which makes it more yep. valuable for you. One hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, I would say indicator? overall, you know, just the, the penny stock volume at all time highs, it just tells you that retail investors are participating in the market more than they usually do in a cycle. It's that part of the cycle where retail investors have flooded into the market. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, this is very bullish long term for the market. Right. So I think w w when you think about this, obviously, a lot of people. Uh, novices, et cetera, are going to fall for low, low end scams. It is just what it is. Uh, you know, what we're trying to do is help people understand uh, micro cap penny stocks is a place where filled with 99% fraud. So like, uh, you know, most of the stuff you're Just be aware if you're looking at stocks that are under a dollar, in yeah. the even in the pennies, you got to be yeah. very careful. Listen, if you're thinking about a stock that's half a penny, just go out, go out and buy GameStop. Really, I mean it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's lots of risk in GameStop. Is true. Totally, totally. So yeah. you know, do that. Uh, you'll, you'll. It, bottom line is, you'll probably be in the same place. It, 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 
you know, but you'll probably be way ahead of whatever you would have owned at the half penny. Scott, what's the other indicator? So this is even more of a powerful indicator than penny stocks. It's how how much more people are trading options than they have in the past. Okay. And there's there's a reason for that. Options are a big contributor to why the market's been doing so well. And so let, let's look at, we have this one chart here that just shows weekly call option buying volume. And in 2021, it peaked at 12 million calls bought a day. Historically, it usually is four to six. So it's at least doubled. And then if we look back at the um, the tech bubble in 2000, it only peaked at 4 million. So we're in a whole new world where more and more people are, their brokers are opening up options trading to them. They're figuring out how options work. They're, some of the people are using it the wrong way. Options can make you a lot of money, but they're also much more risky than stock. So you want to understand what you're doing. They're using it like a casino a bit, um, yep. but it's a powerful tool that we use all the time. And there's a way to do it that can supercharge your returns. But this just shows that more people than ever are buying options. And that has an effect on the market and market performance. And I have an example for you guys. I'm going to use Apple okay. as an example. Yeah. So if you go out on Monday, you can buy a call option on Apple that expires in June and it's gonna cost you only $4.70. So the way options work is there's 100 shares, so you have to spend $470. But now someone wrote that option for you, they're called market makers, they're usually big institutions. They don't wanna bet whether Apple's gonna go down or up, they just wanna make the spread on the difference between buying and selling that option, so they hedge. So what they have to do is buy a certain amount of Apple shares to hedge out this option. So for every $470 that you put into your Apple option, they have to buy $4,200 of Apple stock. So that's a nine times multiplier. So all this options buying in the market is supercharging the stocks because these market makers are having to buy more and more shares. So as long as option volumes are still going up and up and up, it's just going to supercharge the stock prices. You've seen that with Tesla. You've seen it with Apple. It's probably go. It's widespread. So it's just very important to understand that options are a big driver of the market lately. Well, Scott, what's the greatest example of this? We're going to kill this chart. The, the, what's the greatest example of this is GameStop, right? Oh man, yeah, like the the example. The, the example that 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 really is the example. Now we have something more specific about small. Or, uh, so uh, so yes, yeah, so why don't we show the one about small buyers? This was interesting as well. So this is probably more profound, right? What we're seeing, um, so what does this chart say here, Scott? So this chart is looking at people that buy one option at a time. And it's basically, whoever makes these charts is saying that retail investors, you know, options cost $470. So you're not gonna be able to buy a lot of them because it adds up. So it's probably a retail investor if they're buying one option at a time. That's right. So they looked at uh, what's the volume of people buying one option at a time. In 2016 to 2018, it was uh, two million. Uh, so two percent. Oh yeah, only yeah. So only two percent. Now it's up to eight percent. So yeah, that's it, that's a four x. It's huge. It, and and so this really all of this dovetails right. So we're gonna put it all together. We have a. We show all of this speculation happening in OTC micro cap. Uh, you know half penny stocks. Then secondly. We're seeing just a you know rising uh, rising um, volume in in calls, right? You just just calls driving the market, and then finally you're seeing single option buying moon, right? So all of it is showing you that just the power of retail today. 
Uh, I would argue a lot of it is on the speculative side. And, you know, what that uh, what that predisposes you to, Scott, is having the rug pulled out from underneath you on these very go-go names. Because be it, you know, crazy microcaps or big speculative uh, you know, tech stocks. Yeah, I think we can prove it. If you look at what maturity profiles of the options people are buying, whether they expire in a week or a month or three, the most popular ones are the ones expiring very soon. So that proves to you that retail investors are kind of uh, doing, they're choosing the gambling options, not the kind of the the better. It, I think of longer term options are like buying a stock plus. It kind of supercharges yeah. your stock. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've been so, talking a lot about options. If you guys want to learn more about any of this, we have an entire options course on Grizzle. It's totally free. You just create a login so that you can go in. And it's all the courses. It's it's what's a call, what's a put, the whole thing. And then we add to that regularly with real trades and other additional content. So uh, I would highly recommend learning about options because they're easier than ever to trade. They're cheaper than ever to trade. And they can really um, help you achieve your retirement goals sooner if you do them right. Yeah. Uh, and that's gristle.com forward slash options. There you go. Yeah. All right. So that was uh, the retail spec bubble. Just know that retail investors are in the market. Mm -hmm. But then, oh, Kathy Wood coming out hard over the weekend, huh? She raised raising her uh, Tesla price target to 3000 What was it before? 1400 All right. It's a big increase. So yeah, I know you looked at it a little bit, the press release. Like, wh wh what was she doing? How did she get to that? that number yeah so you know what so previously her target and this is split adjusted guys so fyi uh previously uh the target price for tesla was seven thousand. then you split adjusted it's 1400 now she's taking and that was for 2024 okay so scott remind me how high tesla got more recently i think it was like 800 and a change or something yeah, it almost hit 900 i think split almost adjusted. hit 900 let's use yeah. 900 so it, so you know she had a few years to hit that target price which is pretty remarkable in the sense that if you were to go back you know where all of her target prices that you know this is a lot of egg on the like egg on a lot of people's faces that were like you're crazy meanwhile she's getting pretty close but now she's kind of effectively doubling down right and so now you're talking about a stock where you where, where are we sitting today scott it, you're we're talking about a new target price of three thousand uh you know it's it's uh the stock's got to i think you said it right it's got to do 100 percent every year yeah, that's that's from now to 2025, which I think that estimate is. Yeah, that'd be 100 percent a year. So, yeah, it's aggressive. But uh, what what are the assumptions where she thinks Tesla's going to put out how many cars by 2025? Yeah, so right now they're doing a half a half a million cars, right? The, in in terms of units. Yeah. Uh, and so that's uh, so what she's suggesting is uh, in her bear case, it's going to be five million by 2025. And 10 million, uh, and bull cases, 10 million. Do you want to give some relative? What is that as a percentage of the global market? So the global market, I think, peaked at 80 million cars sold a year in 2018. Uh, 2020 was down to about 65. So let's just say it's 70. So, you know, it, it would be around, Tesla would be 10% of the market, something like that. And if we look at the other big guys, say Volkswagen, for example, they sell 10 million cars a year. So Kathy Wood says Tesla is going to become one of the global automakers uh, in five years. Right. This is aggressive, right? We're at 2021. You got five years to make this happen. You know, it's clock ticking. Now, mind you, how have they grown volume so far, Scott? I think we had a good chart for that. Uh, they grew. I know in 2020, they grew volumes 35% over the year before that. 
So the good way to think about it is all the other car companies, they're kind of mature. They're growing 1% if they're lucky in good years. Tesla's growing 35. They were growing 50% before. So the market is willing to give Tesla a much higher stock price multiple than a Volkswagen. What's the difference, I guess? So we looked at Tesla is somewhere around... I've got the number here because I, I, okay. I had the numbers. I'll keep every so just because I'm just trying to give some relative basis, right? How crazy is this? They're going to go from half a million, um, right? So right now they're doing half a million, and she's suggesting they're going to go grow tenfold, right? Yeah. Um, so okay, there's the law of large numbers. I, I, if everyone's familiar with the law of large numbers, obviously when you come from a smaller base, it's easier to do those tenfold increases. But I'll get I'll give her this. You know, everyone has doubted Tesla from the beginning. And they've they've ended up delivering right now, mind you, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he's missed some estimates. But let's be frank, I'm going to talk about what his volumes were in 2015. He did 37, 38,000 vehicles, Scott, in 2015. And then by 2020, he was doing half a million. That kind of sounds like 10x. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, so but 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 but, but there uh, there were no other electric vehicles at that point, really. Sure. The yeah. pure pure electric vehicles. There were the ones that you can charge in for a bit. It goes for it gro- goes until it runs out. You got your gas. Yeah. Uh, now I guess these some of these companies are finally waking up. So in the next five years, we will have more choices from Volkswagen and Audi and others. Yeah, you know, and, and I think the the reality and this is one of the big challenges, right? It it's like uh, like there will be and arguably there has been very competitive uh, offerings that could go against Tesla over the last couple of years. Like, you know, if you were to look across the EV spectrum, but the biggest challenge is sex appeal. Flat out, the other car companies just have an image problem. And, you know, you pull people like, what car do you want to own? Like, it's like Tesla, it's Tesla. You're bet- the- I argue that some of the newer EVs have a better shot because they don't have this legacy of- Yeah, uh, yeah. Right? You know, it's you not know, when it's your like- parents drive or your grandparents drive or any of that. Yeah, well, you know, you don't have this legacy of whatever old school, like you're going from the uh, internal combustion engine, ICE, uh, and, yo, I'm an EV guy, I'm an ICE guy, you know, whatever, right? It's like, you know, potato, potato, but uh, bottom line is, you know, Tesla's played off that very well. Um, but in the, anyways, this is her target price. She's she's used like, I, I want to, she says uh, 35 indicators, something crazy. Let me, let me get this chart up here get up uh let me let me talk to so they use 34 inputs the high low core forecast 40,000 pods of the i you know into a monte carlo statistical simulation um now i'm a big believer scott so a little bit of my background guys i i was a quant analyst at td i started my career on the bond side as a quant scott i started by taking data and, and you know where i ended up um and so i ran fundamental quant uh, on the active equity side at TD. So I would do all the fundamental screens. Uh, we'd create factor, you know, factor models. We do the whole thing. But, you know, where I ended up, just obviously because, you know, we're very fundamentally focused. I just ended up, I just said, you know what, for the most part, we all have biases coming into these things, right? And what ends up happening is 35 inputs is a ton of inputs. And <laughs> the reality on, on, on a business model, a lot of them kind of overlap each other. So, you're way better off having five very key indicators that, that really move the needle, right? Yeah, that relate to the to the you know to the you know to the business in a meaningful way 
than be like, I got 35, and then and you're running this Monte Carlo, Carlo simulation, but really that statistical simulation is all around your own bias anyways, right? It's like, wow, a statistical model came to 3,000? No, it was your bias, all your biases that were going in. <laughs> you're you're like, all right, I'm going to run 40 million of these. They all need to equal 3,000 at the end of the day. Right, yeah. you know, like <laughs> Output, so I will only accept 3,000, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I hate the term garbage in, garbage out, but, but in statistical modeling, it's always the case where ultimately your bias seeps, seeps in. Uh, I have a desire for an outcome. Anyways, I, you know, I, they, they do really put a shiny wrapper on this. I'm um, having, having come from the quant space. Uh, so I start, you know, I went to school as an engineering. So math has always been a, a fascination of mine, but you know, the, you know, the, the longer you go, you know, in terms of the way you see investing evolve just for ourselves and you know, where Grizzle has really worked well, it's just really understand the business model really well, really use math in a portfolio construction basis. Um, but you know, trying to make your process unnecessarily complicated, I think just adds, I'll tell you the truth. I've seen so many quants on wall street where it just adds a veil of, uh, of, oh, these guys, you know, the, the invincibility, right? Yeah, totally. We've seen right? a lot of blowups with quant because you're right for a time and you just feel like you can put on more and more money and then your model breaks down because at the end of the day, there's millions of humans making decisions under the hood. Yeah. And then you've thrown too much money at a trade, you lose, and then you lose it all or something blows up. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Tesla's uh, proved everyone wrong so far. And these other companies are starting to roll out vehicles, but Tesla is pretty nimble about rolling out new models. So uh, we'll have to see. The next five years is going to be exciting, especially with the self-driving. Like, where do we get? It's looking like now people are saying by the end of the decade, maybe we can get somewhere close to self-driving. But it's it's a long, it's we're seeing it's a longer road than people thought. Yeah, like, you know, one of the best uh, combinations, uh, like, uh, like where, where AI and all this sort of stuff, you know, like, because you got to put together all of these sorts of things. I just think very high level, you know, I can't, uh, talking into like dictation and stuff, it still sucks. You know, Alexa <laughs> still like, you know, no one's still. We need Siri. We just, you need to have a conversation with Siri before you can drive with your hands off. <laughs> bingo, right? And it, like once, you know, once I'm okay talking to Siri all the time, then I'll believe self-driving is a real thing. But I know there's a lot of people on the other side of that. I don't, you know, and I'm, I'm self-driving agnostic. Would I, um, I, but I, the other part about it, Scott, I think there's going to be investment. So I'm, I'm very keen on that. The one thing that I really like about this is seeing, hey, listen, if Tesla's going to be 10% of the market, what do you think uh, of Volkswagen's, all of the other competitors are going to have to want to offer 10% of their, you know, their fleet is uh, EV. For me, the best bet is electric metals. Uh, we're talking, you know, we're talking the lithiums, right? We're talking the it, copper, it, copper it, the whole thing, right? Every green metal, vanadium, uh, cobalt, you, you, you could go across the whole, you know, that whole, we're going to do a piece on it. We, 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 we yeah. shall do a pod on that whole thing, but we think the electric metal side is probably the most attractive because um, you're on the you right side. You win anyway, right? Those are the yeah. trades where you, you figure out there's lots of companies fighting in a market, but are they all using one material? Well, then I just want to own whoever mines that material or produces it. That's because that's a sure thing. Whether Tesla wins, whether Volkswagen wins, whether anyone else wins, you will win because they're all using copper, for example, or lithium. That's right. And, and you know, we're going to talk about it Monday, Tuesday, or when we do the, the copper episode. But there's a fantastic uh, data point where it's just showing data, uh, data 
uh, data set is the right word, uh, going back over 50 years, just showing how the lack of investment in commodities over the last, uh, mining specifically over the last half half century. So, so you're, you're on the right side of supply and demand. Now, talking about all this- Yeah, because we're on EVs already. We might as well segue here. Exactly. And so Scott really raised a good point about all of this. You know, there's a lot of competitors coming, uh, be it old school OEM, uh, you know, uh, ICE, uh, internal combustion OEMs trying to get into the EV game. But what has been a huge boom in the low interest rate environment that may have changed, Scott, <laughs> uh, has been the number of speculative new companies that are looking to uh, be competitors to Tesla. And, uh, listen, and so access were- to capital is, is in a new world in 2020 where these guys could go public through a special purpose acquisition court, a SPAC. And yeah. so they could raise the capital they need to ramp up faster. In the old days, they'd have to do one car, show that it works, maybe the internal prototype, raise a bit more. Now they can speed everything up raise a bunch of money through the SPAC. Uh, they do a, a special raise before the SPAC. Then once you're public, you could issue shares if you wanted, take on more debt. So it's sped up kind of some of these guys who are starting from square one to try to compete with Tesla in the, in the electric vehicle space. Yeah, yeah and, and so uh, the in this gold rush of, of the EV uh, spec bubble, um, some questionable business models, right? So we yeah, already have this skirt. Fisker was already exposed for having a fake truck that rolled down a hill. Oh, and that was Nikola, other sh- Nikola, actually. No, Nis- Nikola, sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Fisker may end up rolling one down the hill, too, but not yet. <laughs> they all got <laughs> not, those not, on the hill. But Nikola is the one. So, not to project too I think, much. I think, yeah. so there's an amazing chart from, I think, Wall Street Journal. I would recommend you guys check this out. It shows a bunch of different electric vehicle specs uh, that what their forecasts are for where their revenue will go the next few years. In a spec, oh, yeah. you can forecast revenue. In an IPO, you can't give forecasts. But so they compared what they think they're going to do as far as growth compared to the best companies the last 20 years, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons. And they're forecasting faster uh, that they will hit a billion dollars of revenue faster than even Google did. And Google was the best. Don't so believe it. It's, yeah, it's the thing like, what are, so what are the chances, right? You just need to know if you're throwing in money, if they don't hit those targets, which are some of the best growth the market has ever seen, the stocks are not going to do very well. Mm-hmm. So that you need charts like that to put it in perspective. But there's been a lot of hype because, you know, there's a movement towards sustainability, saving the planet. Uh, Joe Biden's the new president. He wants to put a lot of money into that. So it's helped this whole this whole train. But not all of these companies will be winners, especially there's, so there's electric vehicles. There's also alternative fuels, like using hydrogen powered cars instead of so the batteries. Happened, That's so another plug one. power, Scott, let's talk about that. Yeah. And so that, th- again, th- with the uh, excitement, the lure, the, the future, all the sci-fi that's involved in all of this stuff, um, you know, Grizzle's always seeking out great opinions and ideas and it short, long, doesn't really matter. Uh, we brought on Caresdale Capital to talk about their plug power short thesis. And you know, we're fundamental researchers. So Scott and I can give a hat tip to what we feel is well thought out work. And I thought, Hey, listen, this was pretty well thought out. It was, that was you know, they presented a, a pretty, a pretty damn good case that, and for us, again, we're, a, a big part of winning is staying away from the, you know, staying away from the sand pit. 
you know? Yeah, so you could be wrong, but this is just one of those ones where you kind of need the world to change for things to work out how the stock price was pricing in. Could happen, but it's harder to change the world than it is to find something that just needs to keep going as is and will still make you money. So that's where we kind of find ones like that, where you don't need a paradigm shift and you invest in those, your your hurdles lower, your chances, it's always, remember, like investing is always a chance. Nothing's a sure thing. Your chances of making money are higher, so we're going to put our chips there versus the one where it's a 10% chance to make a lot of money versus a 70% chance. So uh, so this plug power, they, they had an issue with- uh, Their accounting, right? Yeah, accounting. They have to restate their financial statements. Never a good look, okay? No, guys, market doesn't like that. So it was down 20% that day, something like that. Yeah, like listen, it, like the number of times, and you know, Scott and I have, uh, you know, a, you know, very long time of looking at these sorts of uh, scenarios. Uh, I can I can probably state on uh, on on my hand the number of companies that that have had to restate financials and and been a big winners after that. None. No, no, not a, not, <laughs> not a good sign at all. So so as soon as like so let this be a, a word of caution to anyone right so I know enough where now if I ever see like holy cow uh, there's a company that I own that they have to restate financials yeah <laughs> I'm gone yeah. right like, put on your Nikes no, start moving I'm not there to I'm not there to be the operation in my own data set right my own data set says all of these guys never rise I've seen it over and over anyone who's dead like so a okay Big, big ones. If you see a company restate financials, do not buy the dip if you don't own it. No. Yeah, you and maybe even should get out. Even though you, then you'd be down 20% or something. You just got to cut your losses because say they don't go away, it might. it's going to be a long slog back. I've looked at oil companies that they, there was this one company that was one of the top three players. They had to restate earnings. The stock never recovered. It never went anywhere, and I think it went down. So you could have sat being like, buy the wow. dip. It's cheap now. Which but it was never that, got back up. What? Which which stock was that? Weatherford. Oh, so Weatherford. Halliburton and Weatherford were the big oil field service companies. Weatherford had an accounting problem, and it just never recovered. I remember at the time, you know, you're like, oh, wow, it's so cheap compared to Schlumberger and Halliburton now. But it just stayed cheap for... 10 years or something like that and you know if you're a long short investor hedge fund or whatever that's a great sh uh, long short to put on as soon as you get the sniff of accounting fraud we should set a creep uh, like crawler like a uh a, you know a what do you call it, it like finds a screener. press releases right yeah boom boom finds yeah. them and then you just find their what whoever their peer group is we buy the basket of five of their peers and we short them you should win every time. Oh, man. That's like one of our best pair trades that we had was going long Afria and short Aurora. That's just oh, been, a, that's been like a three-year just gimme home run. Oh, yeah, guys. And it's all published. We talked about it. We talked about the fact that, that there was so much smoke and mirrors at Aurora. Their valuation. It, you had all these things working for you. You had a basically fake business. Uh, the, the, if anyone knew anything what was going on in Alberta with the company, it was all like, we're talking about Aurora here. Uh, but Afria, at the same time, had the number one, like, number one. Brand uh, in Canada, brand, right? Yeah, in, in Broken Coast. Yeah. And now, what are they, top three, Scott? Who's Are they the largest? Who, who's the number one player? I think they're the largest. By player. revenue, they might be the largest. They're, they're the largest. Uh, so, and Afria, uh, sorry, uh, so that's Afria and Aurora Cannabis is like a broken thing yeah they have broken. lots of problems so that that was i think in 2018 is when we first started talking about that and it worked out really well but so yeah. we're, we're going off in a tangent but 
SPACs, not all SPACs are created equal. Some may be disappointments, but there are some diamonds in the rough like Danimer. So if we're talking SPACs, we got to talk about Danimer. Had another great week. <laughs> Guys, uh, I hope uh, everyone uh, has feasted. Uh, when we put Grizzle Conviction Calls out, we put a lot of work behind it. We, you know, yes, we sir. really put in, and, uh, you know, we've, every one of our conviction calls, uh, just, we really highlight the opportunity, the long-term structural, uh, where this, you know, where, where it goes. And it's in a niche that we just feel doesn't, hasn't had the right coverage. We did it with Beyond Meat. We did it with Penn Gaming, Scott. That was, that was a legit, you know, we just said, listen, no one's giving this company credit. It's a multi-bagger. And we called it literally to a T mm -hmm. uh, from 30 bucks to now, you know, where it was getting- 130 or something like that. 130 uh, to a T. Uh, and then now we're talking about Danimer. And, and we're early days on Danimer, right? Like, you know, yeah. stocks don't always go up. Danimer lately has been up every single day. It won't always do that. But the opportunity down the road is just huge for this company because it's in an industry that's just starting. Biodegradable yeah. plastic bottles. Well, well, I'll tell Chip you this, Scott. Bottles. You know, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. This kind of price action. So, uh, let me tell you. Hopefully, everyone can get some value out of this. Uh, so, how I do, how I do my weighting, right? So, I got in. Uh, you know, and then the market pulled back significantly, right? I kept buying every dip. I needed to get my dollar cost average lower on this. So I had some dry powder, but then obviously I'm like, listen, I'm going through my entire, you know, my, my entire portfolio. I'm like, this is my conviction call, conviction call. I got a couple, right? Camp Compass, uh, Danimer Scientific, Bioplastics. They are the future, right? So what I do is that I'm like, listen, I'm going to just keep piling in and then bam, right? You, you catch that velocity. But guess what I did, Scott? I keep buying. I just, as it gets hard to, I'm like, Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. When you, when you notice there's momentum in a name. That's a smart move to buy. That's what the professionals do. It, when you talk about like buying low, selling high, that's more like a trader. This trader talk, I think, because the best stocks like an Amazon, you would be buying high all the time and still making money because it's a great company. The stock price will keep going up over time. And and especially when you're talking about mid cap, so this stock was you know two to three billion, you know that two to three three billion and change now, but. In that space, when you see this kind of everyday big boom, boom. And it doesn't matter what the market's doing, right? Market's red, Danimer's green. Market's green, Danimer's yeah. darker green. Oh, oh, I'll tell you. So that's a combination of strong diamond hands on retail and strong diamond hands on institutional. There is an institutional bid that is lurking every day. Hold it. You, you notice when that stock goes down, it doesn't hold down even for like a minute. Pop. Pop. So you like anyone deploying capital in this thing just gets that pop back. It, and this you is see one of our followers said that uh, there's been a lot of insider buying lately. Good. That's what you want to see. Like Great. It. Yeah. Love it. So let's uh, look at the performance of Danimer last week. I, we got a good chart. We, we got Danimer versus the NASDAQ and versus ARC. ARC is kind of, you know, like a tech bellwether. Danimer is just, I think it's one of the best performing stocks last week, probably. Yep. It, it was up 20%. Well, the NASDAQ was down half a percent and ARC was down three and change, something like that. So it was it was a monster week for Danimer. Remember, I think the all-time highs for Danimer recently was 60. Um, and so, like, you would think it could easily get back there. Uh, the, so the, the big catalyst for Danimer is, remember, they're sold out. That's one of the reasons we love. The, they, they can't make enough of their product. So yeah. they'll probably, as we go through time, they're going to be announcing capacity increases. That's just, that's just how we'll go. 
So Scott, and, you know, I, you know, what a wonderful world we are in investing, and and uh, you know, the Grizzle family uh, from to YouTube, to uh, now the podcast. Thank you, everyone, guys. And if you are listening to the pod, please, we would really, if you found value in this pod, please give us a review. Throw that, uh, and give an honest five-star review on the five-star scale. I, I would hope that it would be great, but but do give us a review. Yeah, an honest that. review, it helps this podcast out a lot. More people see it, more people learn like you're learning right now. Totally. And so let me give you a great news story of just the new world we are in investing where we basically have this amazing network, the Grizzle fam. Everyone knows what we're, you know, what we're trying to do. So uh, uh, this great guy, Tarun, uh, messaged me and, and like, you know, it, within uh, one of, you know, one of my Danimer things. I'm like, this guy, this guy knows what's going on. He, anyways, I, uh, I follow him. He DMs me. He goes, so he's like, sending me all this information. So I got to talk. So India introduced legislation that bans certain manufacturing of plastic after 2022, both import and the sale of single-use plastic. The government also plans to ban plastic cutlery in all forms, wrapping, packaging, film, sweet boxes, cigarettes, banners. Wow. That's India, folks. And so right now, when we did the when we did the Danimer thesis, we showed two countries, uh, two, two, it, Canada, and then obviously the European Union oh, and, that are and, thinking of And we didn't catch it in the article, but China's doing the same thing too. So you got well, a massive mean, country like China, India's following, uh, Canada, EU, US might be last because that's how the US rolls, but. But this is huge. This is like, and 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 this is way bigger than, than electric vehicles, I'll be frank, because the cost is negligible. Whether I pay 10 cents for a cutlery, it is what it is. I'll do it. I don't care. True. Yeah, you got to look at the absolute sometimes. Okay, their stuff is uh, 40 cents more, is is like, you know, 50% more. But you're talking like cents, you know? So what's the big cents. deal? You, you might be saving the planet. Governments anyway are willing to take that cost on to crack down on all this, yep. this refuse in the oceans. So... You know what? This is one of the great uh, aspects of, of capitalism can work for good. And, um, and you know, with good regulation, like, let's be totally frank, a, a totally unfettered world where environmental, where we don't have environmental safeguards, it's not a great one, right? But now we also have to be, there is a, there is obviously a trade-off as well. We have to understand what's given us this amazing quality of life globally. And that has been, that has been uh, oil. Let's be frank about it. Oil has has enabled us to have all of this. Uh, so I think the right view on oil is let's treat it like the, you know, let's treat it like the amazing good that it is and let's really push for efficiency. I think we can get very far, you know, with that. Um, but when you think about things like all the plastics we see in the ocean, all of that nonsense, it's just like, it, it's unnecessary. It's, it's a sign of a wasteful society. I know I'm not coming into my like favorite bubble tea spot with my own uh, steel straw, Scott. That's not going to happen. No. It's just not going to happen. You're <laughs> so going to forget it. Even if you buy it, you're going to forget it at home. <laughs> right. So let's be frank about, you know, uh, where the... Just be realistic about it. how you're going to make change. You can feel so good about your wooden straw or your, or your yeah. other straw, but if you don't bring it, it's not going to work. So why not find a better solution that's really going to make an impact? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so... I mean, Guys, investments like this don't come along very much, right? Helping the planet, helping sustainability, plus just a great company in an emerging industry. Like, I love to see it. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. So, you know, everyone, uh, 
Uh, hat tip to everyone who's who followed the Grizzle call. Uh, and thank you for, you know, lots of love coming out everywhere uh, on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, big fam, man, we linked in, you know, big fam across, uh, you know, thank you so much for the support. So we yeah, can we keep going. Uh, the, the 2021 is going to be a big, big year for Grizzle. Uh, you know, the hats are just the beginning. Just <laughs> yeah. the beginning. Uh, we've got great hats. Uh, guys, uh, the store is coming next week. But uh, literally, we, we have some phenomenal things in the pipe that I think are going to blow people's minds uh, uh, in terms of, you know, what we've done. And, and the goal was always just to show how it can be done. Three oh, and Tom, of... you forgot to mention, uh, who got Danimer first? It was the people on our list. That's just, just kind of, you know, they, they've committed. They sign up. They see what's going on in, on Grizzle day to day. So we send that stuff to them. So if you want to be on the list, we have a great weekly that goes out outlining everything that's happened during the week, including this podcast. And then um, any of our calls goes out the list a few days before everyone else. It's just grizzle.com slash subscribe. You'll be on there. You'll get all our stuff first. Yeah. We, so, so check that so out if you're interested. Get on the list. Uh, it's it's uh, critical. And also, if, if you're finding us on YouTube, we're, we're banging through the week. We're, we're putting out great episodes through the week. Find us there. Be great. Come hang out with us live. You can ask questions. Yeah, it, we, we did it. We did a great pot, uh, pot stock huddle. We're gonna keep doing that every week, man. That was good. Yeah, it was, was like a fun. scrum. It was a scrum. Ah, what about my name? What it started name? as a huddle, turned into a scrum by the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, big respect, big week, uh, Scott. Till we do it again. All right, we'll see you guys. Thanks for tuning in.